Well, hey everyone, we're joining you live, not from the Olympics, but from the Richmond Campus Baptismal Pool. There's so much energy going on right now. We're baptizing over 50 people today here on campus. I know you're baptizing at West End and Missouri City as well. I love the picture that baptism paints when we go under the water and come back up again of Jesus's death and burial and resurrection, what he does in our lives, how when we put our faith in him, our sins are buried and we can walk in a new life. So today I want to introduce you to Ashlyn. And Ashlyn's story is so amazing. She actually volunteers in our children's department here. And she says that growing up, she really struggled with fear, fear of the future, fear of what people would think of her. And then when she got to college, she found herself alone and really depressed. Well, second semester, she put her faith in Christ and she wants to be baptized today to say that she has been freed and she wants to tell the world of her relationship with him. So we're going to do that right now. So Ashlyn, is it true that you've put your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. <laughs> then based on your profession of faith, we baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ unto death, and rise to walk in newness of life. So great. And we have so many more baptisms to look forward to do today. I want to send it live inside in the air conditioning, by the way, to Patrick Kelly. He's going to wrap up our series, Grace, Justice, and the World We Live In on all of our campuses. Y'all give it up. Welcome, Patrick Kelly. Thank you, Tanya. Man, that's bad duty when you have to be outside. And it's our first live baptism for all of our campuses. We got to enjoy that. So thank you for This is such an important step in your faith journey. It's not about going to heaven or joining a church. It's about saying, I belong to Christ. This is my decision. And so I hope many of you on all of our campuses will get baptized. We baptized two folks at our West End campus on Thursday, which was a lot of fun. And so we're, we're just having a great time. Hey, I, I know we have people watching all over the, uh, all over the country. My mom watches from Maryland. Uh, we have some folks in the Pacific Northwest, people from faraway lands like Arkansas. They, they, uh, they watch us, so that's a lot of fun. As you can tell, uh, people have noticed and say, what happened to Patrick? Well, I've been trying to talk to you about this. I had rotator cuff surgery, and uh, I'm, in, I'm in a cranky mood, I'll be honest with you. And uh, it's been about a week and a half, and um, I've, I'm at my deductible, so I'm getting all the repairs done, okay? And then I lost a tooth and I had, to, I had to get a tooth pulled and there's nothing like that sound in the morning, you know, that kind of deal. So I really appreciate Abe's sermon last week on suffering. It really helped me a lot. He talked about, so if you missed that, you should go see it because he talked about the fact that we're the hands and the feet of Jesus and the fact that we are, we suffer, but there's purpose in it and all that. So anyway, so that was a great deal. Uh, so many great things are happening on all of our campuses. On our, our Missouri City campus today, I want to welcome Javier and Jenna. Javier is our new uh, Children, uh, student pastor, and uh, they're moving here from Orlando. This is his first day. So if you have problems in Missouri City with your kids, just take them to Javier. He'll fix them right up and send them home. So we're welcome him. Let's welcome Javier to our family. That's it. And then at our West End campus, I don't know if you know this or not, but we, for the last year, we've been working on a building that was built in 1930. It was the original Sunday school building. 
And we didn't remodel it when we took over that facility five years ago, but now we're doing that. We're making it into a coffee house that's going to open to the public in about eight weeks, okay? So I got images here. It's really exciting. We're very, very excited about what's going to happen here. This building is just beautiful. It's going to be a place for community, a place that we can do things like AA and different support groups and things that we just haven't had the facilities to do. It's got a rooftop deck, okay? How about that? So come down there. If you haven't checked out our uh, West End campus on a Thursday night, uh, we have services at seven o'clock. You can come down there and we'll give you a, a tour. If you're down there today, go by and see Abe. Maybe he'll take you through the construction zone and let you see the facility as well. I'm not sure that's legal actually. So anyway, hey, and I wanna say one other thing, commercial. Are y'all okay today? Everybody okay? Good. Hey, you know, something happens, um, in our, in our kind of busyness of life where we forget about different parts of the world. But there's partners that we have in China that we pray for. They're with a group that we support called Hope and Grace, and they work with orphans there. Well, we've had to stop going over there because the Chinese government's been so difficult to work with, and they've harassed our ministry partners there for so long. And it's been, it's been something. I just don't want us to forget about our friends in China. Well, yesterday, Sean, David, and Aaron were able to leave, yesterday, were able to leave, got out of China, and they flew here, and they were in our first service. And they may be here again today. And we just want to say, we love you. Thank you for all your work with orphans in China. We're your partners and friends, and we're glad to support you. Let's give those folks a big hand. <clears throat> For sure. I can't speak with anything in my pocket. It's kind of a weird deal, so it's great. Hey, I don't know about what has happened uh, in your home, but we have had these little weird things that happened in our home as our kids were growing up. And one of them is our kids would make up words or reassign vocabulary definitions to different words. Like, for example, here's one. Uh, for some reason, one of my, I had four children growing up uh, in our home. For some reason, one of our kids called the remote control to the television. They called it the calculator. And from that point to this point, it's just been known as the calculator. So when friends come over, we say, well, hand me the calculator. They're looking for a calculator. No, it's the code for the remote control. Have you all ever do weird things like that? So Lisa and I are the only ones in our home anymore, and we still today call it the cal- hand me the calculator, will you? And, and, and there was another time uh, with four children uh, that were about 20 months apart, um, there was always a fight in our home. Always something going, not usually a fist fight, but sometimes there was, we had three boys and a girl and that girl, man, she could whip them. And uh, she was amazing. She had a weapon, man. She was amazing. She was incredible. And um, there was something about that every single day. Maybe you feel this way if you're raising children, especially if they get to elementary school age, every single day, somebody felt cheated just felt cheated, you know, just like cheated. Well, one day, my daughter, who felt cheated, and she's passionate. My daughter is passionate. And so she was passionate, but she didn't have the words, and she didn't understand. She didn't know the word that's unfair or that's not fair. She didn't understand that. She didn't know how to use that word, but she was so riled up, and she was so cheated by her brothers that she screams out, that's not ever That's what she says. That's not ever. That's not ever. So from that point to this point today in our home, when somebody feels cheated, we say, that's not ever. You know, that kind of deal. There's something about all of us where we know when we're being cheated. 
It's sort of like a sixth sense, you know? Now, sometimes we recognize when other people are being cheated and treated unfairly, but we always know when we're treated unfairly. We never miss that. So this ideal of justice is an important idea. We want things to be fair. You want things to be fair. You want the world to be fair. You want your life to be fair. You want to think, now I'm on a roll, sorry. I'm not on meds, so please. You want to believe you treat everybody fair. But you don't. You see, this ideal of fair and justice comes from God. The ideal of justice is connected with the ideal of truth and about grace. And it's all kind of connected in. See, we live in a world of injustice, where things are not fair. They're never fair. But with God, here's the thing you should hear today. God shows no partiality. He treats everybody the same. I know, I know you think you're special to God. You're not. We're all special to God. We're all the same. I know, I went to preacher school, you know, I'm trying to do good, and there's those people out there that don't even care. They're not even, they're not even in church today. <laughs> You're telling me God loves them as much as he loves me? Yes. Because God's love's not earned. So the idea is that we have to have some sense of objective standard for justice. And here's the thing I want you to know. God provides this. He provides an objective standard for justice. Everybody's treated the same. We show our friends partiality. We let people cut in line. We, we, the people we like, the people that we're connected with, we give them special treatment. God doesn't do that. And so because of that, God's the objective standard for justice. And without that, without this objective standard of justice, it becomes very subjective. And your standard of justice is different than my standard of justice. In fact, when there is no objective standard of justice, injustice begins to really emerge. And we don't really figure out, well, what is just or not just? In fact, it's not even a question we ask anymore, just or unjust, right or wrong. It's just things that we do. And all of a sudden, this subjective sense becomes about the, the street justice or, uh, you know, people in the name of justice like Nazi justice or ISIS justice or, or, or clan justice or the rich justice or powerful justice, my justice, your justice. And all of a sudden, it all gets screwed up somewhere. So God wants us to understand the sense of justice, but he also wants us to understand the world in which we live in. And without God, here's what you should hear, without God, it's survival of the fittest. And the powerful make the rules. The rich make the rules. The people who hold the, the biggest club, they make the rules, right? And the rest of us are victimized by it. So we don't want to live in a Darwinian type of state where it's just the powerful make the uh, rules, but that's the state and that's the world in which Jesus entered into in the first century. Our longing for justice isn't quite natural, because, but it comes from God. And here's a passage you're familiar with. Listen to this. For God so loved the world. Come on, we should all say this part of the passage together. Missouri City, West End, online. Here we go, out loud together. Ready? For God so loved the world. That is such a familiar passage of scripture that we forget how radical of an idea it is. 
Because in the first century, the Roman government, well, they were in charge. And the nation of Israel thought they were special to God. So it could have said, because Jesus was Jewish, God so loved the Jewish people, or God so loved Israel, or God so loved the Romans, or whatever it is. This is radical, because in the first century, there was no justice or injustice. It was those who were in control and those who did whatever they wanted to do. The people with the money made the rules. And that's why you see, because you've seen the movies, right? Gladiator and all these horrific movies where the Romans would just take people indiscriminately and just kill them, especially if you were Christians or a believer or didn't pledge your loyalty to Caesar. And here in the midst of an unjust world that wasn't fair, that people got killed, if somebody else decided they should die, there was no law. God says he so loved the world. He loved everybody, all of us the same. I mean, it's a radical concept of, of justice that we all stand at the exact same place with our creator, love. There's nothing you can do to be loved more and there's nothing you can do to be loved less. God so loved you, loved the world. Now we live in a performance-based system that we feel like we can earn something or we should earn something in this performance trap that we find ourselves in with God and with others, what it eliminates is intimacy. Because nowhere in a performance-based relationship can you be yourself. You're always trying to earn something. And because of God's character, are y'all listening to me? My tooth is killing me. Anyway, because of God's character, he just decided that he's going to love his created. God so loved you. Hey, there are times you don't even love you. And you certainly don't love everybody in your family. You just got to live with them. Maybe that's just the home I grew up in. I don't know. I mean, it's just like, I have, to, I have to say I love you, but right now it's hard. We get on each other's nerves and God knew all about all that stuff. And he said, God so loved the world. And then he says, how much he loved you? Here's what he says. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So wait a minute here. God so loved you, he came into this unjust world that was marked with sin, that deserved judgment, that deserved the wrath. I don't know about you, but sometimes you joke around and it says like, man, if you keep living like that, God's just gonna strike you with lightning or something like that. You know, you have this sense of justice that, man, God's gonna get you. Maybe it's a sense of karma. We talk about karma a lot today. You know, at least celebrities do. You know, it's karma. Like you get what you deserve kind of thing. But here's, here's the truth. God so loved the world that he gave you something that you didn't deserve, a savior, that whoever believes in him should be forgiven and not experience eternal judgment. Then it goes on and says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, this is important for you to understand because the church has become quite a judgment, uh, place of a judgment, which I think has driven off a lot of people. But Jesus didn't come as a judge. This is why, right? This is why things are still screwed up. He didn't come to right every wrong. So God's justice and love is connected. They're always connected. 
The fact that he loves you. He could have come and said, oh, okay, this is it. Have you ever done that? Like walk, walked into your kids and go, that's it, I've had it. Well, I haven't done that because I'm a Christian, but I've heard of people, <laughs> heard of people walking in saying, I've had it, that's it. And you just try to write, you get over there, you get over there, put down that bat. That's what I have to say to my daughter, you know. And all of a sudden you just clean it up. Jesus didn't do that. He, he didn't do that. It's important, listen, I wanna write it down for you. God didn't send a judge, he sent a savior. It's like in the midst of this junk, in the midst of this fallenness, in the midst of this sin, in the midst of this mess, he sent us a lifeline. He didn't come and said, I've had it, that's it. Now I'm gonna clean this up. That's coming. But what he did is he said, hey, he provided for us a way to have a relationship with our creator that wasn't based on our performance or our being good, but it allowed us to, here's how God is just. God cannot overlook your sin or mine. See, that, that's, that's kind of what we want. We all want a God that's loving and caring, but not, not a judge, and that's impossible. Paul says it this way, we stand condemned already because of our sin, and God so loved you that he sent you a lifeline he, he, he sent you a savior to grab a hold of. Jesus said it this way, and John, he said, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not, have, I did not come to judge the world. This is, this is frustrating, because we want God to make all wrongs right. We want to be treated fairly, but he didn't come to do that, but he came to save the world. Then he gives us this inkling of the future. He says, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words that I've spoken will condemn them at the last days. There is a time coming where judgment is going to happen. It's gonna happen for everybody. And either you're gonna be found in Christ where you've humbled yourself and you believed that you needed a savior, or you're gonna to try to explain to God that you are good enough. And the problem with being good enough is that the idea is that, that we think we're good enough because we compare ourselves with each other. Well, that, God doesn't grade on a curve. You're either perfect or you're not. And some of you are deceived to think you are. And all of a sudden it's like, ah. So instead of God issuing some righteous judgment, he allowed his son to take on the punishment for your sins and your transgressions and mine. So God's just, he's not overlooking your sin. He's not saying, hey, that's no big deal. Everybody does that, everybody's doing that. He's going, no, 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 no. I'm gonna take the wrath that you deserve and place it on Jesus who doesn't deserve it so you can get what you don't deserve, which is forgiveness. And this is the ideal here is, the ideal is that, listen, judgment's happening, Jesus took the wrath, and all of a sudden there's justice, and I get what I don't deserve. Because the truth is this, if there's no justice, there's no justice without judgment. There is judgment coming. I know we like to rewrite the rules, 
But we don't. And here's what we also like, right? We also like this. Justice for you. That's what I want. Mercy for me. I want justice for you. And we know this because we watch the news or we hear of somebody or somebody's harmed us and then we hear they got theirs and we revel in it. Well, they just got what they deserved. <laughs> you, you're, you're not like that? You're not? <laughs> well, I'm not either. But they got what they deserved. There's a little smile on the face. They just got what they deserved. I do not want what I deserve. You don't either. Now, I know there's a sense of sort of this unresolved issue because we want justice and we fight for justice. That's why the church is it's so important for the church, God's people, to fight for those that are marginalized or discriminated against or treated unjustly. We've got to be the heart of God who is just and stand up for people and fight for them so that they know God, the creator, loves them. But we're not going to right every wrong but we are gonna fight. And we're gonna, we're gonna go out there into our community and we're gonna care for people who don't have the power and don't have the money and don't have the influence because God's, God loves everybody the same and the church is gonna love everybody the same, at least this church is. And we're gonna love on people. But, but, you're, but you're not gonna right every wrong. Life's unfair. It ain't ever. And now school started. And some of you parents, let me just talk to you now because I'm, I'm hyped up on medicine. Let me tell you something. You running up there to the school to complain all the time about how your little baby sweetie is being mistreated doesn't do your little baby sweetie any good at all. And you're running up there complaining and complaining and complaining because they didn't make the team or they didn't make this or make that. I had that happen. I had four kids. They were always mistreated. And they were usually lying about it. But listen, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they did get it right. And I had Dylan one time, my middle son, came home and he was an English teacher, had mistreated him. It did something just, I can't remember the specifics, but when he told me, I didn't believe him. I go, I just, I, I, I said, you're lying. That didn't happen. He said, Dad, it happened. This is how I was treated. And I, I still thought he was lying. So I called his bluff. I said, well, I'll call that teacher, and I'll go up there and have a conference with that teacher. And he said, I wish you would. And I go, oh, God, that's something. I think he really got ripped off there. I mean, okay. Dang, I don't want to go talk to that teacher. I'm the pat, and then I looked at Lisa. Why don't you go talk to the teacher? Oh no, you started this conversation. <laughs> Gave me a snap. I'm just like, oh, okay. So I called the teacher. Went up there to Austin High School. Sat down with the teacher. I said, well, this is, this is the story Dylan's telling me. What's your side of the story? I'd just like to know what's going on in the classroom. She told me the exact same story. I couldn't believe it. I said, that's terribly unfair. She said, well, I don't think so. And I said, no, 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 that's fine. Listen, here's what we're teaching our kids. This is what I'm telling this teacher. Here's what we're teaching our kids. We're teaching our kids in life, you're going to get cheated. You're going to get treated unfairly. You're going to have an unfair boss or an unfair judge or an unfair this or unfair that. And I say, thank you for helping my son because you're great training ground for him. 
Thank you very much. I thought that was good. Lisa never let me do another parent conference. That was my last parent conference I ever got to do. But here's the thing, you being, listen, me and being a helicopter parent, trying to ride every wrong, that's not fair. They got to pitch more than this person. They got to play more than this person. Your child will succeed in life because they learn how to succeed in an unfair, unjust world. They don't, they're not gonna be successful. They're gonna go to work, they're gonna come home. I have my first day at work. You're not gonna believe where they put me in a desk. I'll be right up there to talk to your boss. I mean. Welcome to the world in which we live in. I mean, really. There, there, there's a story where this woman, Jesus uh, makes up this story to kind of illustrate a point where this woman had an, a case that was unjust and she was treated unfairly. And she went to this judge and Jesus makes it sure in the passage to, to claim that this judge did not fear God nor man. I mean, this is an ungodly judge. Well, the judge would not hear the woman's claim. Now, we don't know what the claim was, but the judge wouldn't hear it. And so the woman began to pester and pester and pester and call and meet him in the parking lot, all the things that you would do to try to get somebody's attention. I know there's no cars in the first century. Just go with me on this, okay? And so he, she just kept going. So finally, this ungodly, unrighteous judge who had all the power finally realized that the only way that this woman was ever going to leave him alone was for him to hear the case. Now, interesting enough, in this scripture, we're not told what the case is, nor are we told the outcome of the case. Because the point that Jesus was making was about the judge. So he's comparing himself with the judge. And he says this in Luke 18, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Justice is coming, guys who cry out to him day and night, will he not keep putting, will he keep putting them off like this ungodly judge? And the rhetorical questions answered, no, he's not gonna keep putting you off. There is a day coming, a day of judgment. And he goes on to say this, I tell you, he will see that, they're, they, they, we, that we all get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, that's really the point. It's love now and judgment later. We want the love first. We don't want judgment. We, we want we want love, we want grace, we want mercy. I want justice for you and mercy for me, but none of us really what we want, uh, none of us really want to get what we deserve. Because, because the truth is this, listen, we, we deceive ourselves. We think we have a sense of self-righteousness. In fact, if you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus as your savior, it's because you've got a sense of self-righteousness that you're good enough. And I've had that too. And we deceive, we don't see ourselves the way our creator sees us. We don't even see ourselves the way others see us. We don't see ourselves accurately at all. In fact, David is a good example of this, the Old Testament king. If you remember, David had quite the soap opera life. He had all the power and wealth. He was a man after God's own heart and God put him on the throne. And back then, man, I'm telling you, you had all the power. You could do any, there was no legal system. There was no, there was no uh, impeachment process. You had everything. Well, David began to use his power for himself and not his people. And he saw a woman bathing on the rooftop next door, and he had an affair with her. If that wasn't bad enough, 
the woman was married. And when the husband came home, he realized he was in trouble because she was pregnant now. And he'd been off at war fighting for the country. So David puts this man at the front line so he'd be killed. And he was. So David commits murder. He commits adultery. Then he commits murder. But he was the king. And so he rationalized it somehow. I don't know what he says. It's not recorded, but it had to go something like, well, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. But God took interest in this attitude. And he sent a prophet by the name of Nathan to David. Here's what Nathan said to him. He said, David, let me tell you this little story. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, Nathan said, listen, David, I'm going to tell you this thing. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. You see the contrast here. He raised that lamb and it grew up with him and his children and it shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Boy, what a descriptive term. It was like this lamb is all they had. It was like part of the family. Then a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his many sheep or many cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. But instead, the rich man took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Can you believe this? Then David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. I want justice. He deserves justice. Give him justice. And then he goes on to give us more specific. He says, he must pay for the lamb four times over. He burned with anger. Can't believe this happened because he did such a thing and had no pity on the poor man. And then Nathan turned to David and said, well, David, you're that man. I mean, it's amazing how we are capable of deceiving ourselves to believe we're okay when we're not okay. It's okay to deceive yourself compared to everybody else that you don't need a savior or you don't need God. You hope he blesses you, but you're not in need of him. And yet the way God's created this whole thing is that we come to a place of desperation and need, recognizing that we, 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 we deserve judgment, but we get mercy. But it's your choice. God is objective. He is the source. He treats everybody the same. And when you get this sense of God's holiness and who he is, your hypothetical ability to stand before God and make your own deal is just falls away. See, this idea of judgment and justice, we, we're going to fight for your justice. I don't want you to get cheated. But we live in a world that's unjust. And the only just right thing is God. And one day, judgment's coming. We're told by the Apostle Paul in the book of Thessalonians that one day a trumpet is going to sound and the heavens are going to part and Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he will not come as a savior, but he will come as a judge. 
And when he comes as a judge, all of our made up theology will fall apart. And we're going to be standing there going, I think it was pretty good. Was that pretty good? Was that pretty good? Everybody pretty good? Pretty good? I'm pretty good. You're pretty good. I have no hope of that. It's like, I am saved, I am forgiven, I am cleansed. Jesus took my punishment, he took the payment, he took it all, everything I deserve, he took it for me. I'm gonna stand there with all humility and say, I'm found in Jesus and Jesus is found in me. That's it. I'm not gonna give an explanation as to why I did what I did. That's gonna be silly and nonsense. I'm gonna be standing before the holy creator of the universe, begging him for forgiveness. And he's gonna say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, man, come on. Now you, you do what you wanna do. Our arrogance, just like David, deceives us to believe that we're in a better place than we really are. But you are that man or woman and I am too. And I'm so glad Jesus came as a savior, not as a judge. And I'm ready, are you? I'm ready when he does come back as a judge. I'm ready to stand before him, not because I'm good or went to preacher school or any of that, but because I found Jesus. And that's my only hope. I hope it is for you too. That's my only hope. But you can run up there to school and make everything right for your kids if you want to. <laughs> I'm a terrible pastor, seriously. It's just like, uh, I just love our educators so much and hate that they had to put up with me, you know, so. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that we get in a world that's so fallen and broken and unjust. And listen, we got it good here in America. You go over to China for a while, or Cuba. Go to Cuba right now. My friends in Cuba are telling me what's going on over there. We realize how unfair and unjust. And if you, you take God out of the picture, which is what China and Cuba has done, you're left with survival of the powerful and the fittest, and people suffer greatly because of it. And man, we've got to stand up for those people, and we've got to help them. May God have mercy on us all, right? Let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you so much for a savior that you so loved me when I was so unloving, so unlovable. And I thank you, God, that you had mercy and you extended me a hand of fellowship and you said, come, forget, experience my forgiveness. And if you're here or Missouri City West End watching online, you've never given your life to Christ, you should do that. It's not about joining the church or being good. This is about receiving a gift. And all you got to do sincerely in your heart is say, God, forgive me. I believe Jesus took the punishment for me on that cross and rose again. And I want to follow you. I want to experience you as my savior, not some distant relative. I want to have intimacy with you. And God, may our church stand up for those who are marginalized and hurt and treated unjustly. May we care about people beyond ourselves. May we be a church that speaks the good news, the shouts for joy because Jesus has come. 
that we might be ready and even more might be ready for you to come back as judge. We stand before you in all humility, thanking you for the grace that we've received. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.